All right, take your Bibles tonight. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue excavating this epistle. We've been considering the verses which speak of the armor of God. We still haven't actually gotten to the armor yet. So far, we have seen our need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We considered some of the wiles of the devil he uses against us. We saw that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but it ultimately, our warfare takes place in the spiritual realm. We saw how we need to stand and withstand against spiritual wickedness in high places in the evil day. And I don't believe anyone who's in Christ tonight should doubt the fact that we live in an evil day, an increasingly evil day, maybe I should put it that way. So we'll begin tonight by once again reading verses 10 through 18. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." So before we begin to examine the armor of God next week, let's take note this week of how we're told yet again in the beginning of verse 14 to stand. Verse 11 says, stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13 says, we are to withstand in the evil day. And the end of verse 13 says, having done all to stand. And now in the beginning of verse 14, it says, stand therefore. You get the idea that God wants His children to stand? I ended last week on this need for us to stand, and I want to pick back up on this thought for tonight. We're living in an evil day. Sin and iniquity abounds. False teachings and heresies prevail. Satan is busy at work. Persecution and tribulation are on the rise, and God's judgments are being executed upon the earth. But before we get the idea that it's never been this bad before. Let's remember that the first century Christians had it far worse than we do here in America today. We really don't know what it's like yet, and we better start figuring it out because it's going to get worse and worse, the Bible says. Just think about the early martyrs that we read about in the Bible. John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod Antipater. James, the brother of John, the beloved, was killed by Herod Agrippa I. Stephen was stoned by the Jewish religious leadership known as the council. And secular history tells us that the Apostle Paul was beheaded under the Caesar Nero. Not to mention what secular history tells us about the rest of the martyrs in the first century. Men who died for their faith. My point is we aren't seeing anything like that in America right now. In certain parts of the world it is taking place. There are Christians being beheaded for their faith still. Just think about the Middle East, China. People are being killed for their faith. But those are very anti-Christian regimes. 
And I'm not sure where we're at here in America. Maybe we could say we live in a day of passive evil. I don't even know if that's a word. But there aren't people in leadership that are physically attacking Christians. Our president, our governors, religious leaders in the country, none of them that I'm aware of at this point have sentenced a Christian to be beheaded because they're a Christian. And so understand, it it may be getting bad, but it's not as bad as it's been. And so we live in this kind of passive evil day when Christianity, the principles of Christianity, especially are under attack through legislation and through the judiciary and things like that in our schools, our academia. So here we're being told to stand against the evil day, stand in the evil day. And to put it very simply, to sum all that up, I would say this tonight, we need to stand against sin. I think that's the bottom line. We could talk about what that looks like across the spectrum, but as God's children, God has called us to stand against sin. Remember from last week, just because the world's governments are corrupting the Word of God, it does not mean that this body of believers has to do the same. Just because governments are changing definitions and passing legislation that is increasingly anti-Christian, it does not mean that we as God's children have to do so ourselves. We can stand as a church and we can stand as individuals. We are called to shine as lights in a dark world. We're to shine forth the righteousness of Christ in order that the corruption of this world may be seen. But this cannot happen if we're walking with the world and holding hands with the world. 2 Corinthians 6.14 tells us to not be equally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? You see, the two cannot fellowship together. As God's children, we're to be as light standing and shining in the midst of a dark world. Light and dark cannot fellowship together. They cannot cohabitate the same space. When the light is turned on, the darkness has to flee. And the darkness cannot overtake the light. And so you cannot have an intermixing of the two and be right with God. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and through 16, it says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We want our lights to shine in this world because there's a world out there that's in darkness. And they need the light. They need to be saved. They need to see their sins for what they are. And as we shine the light of Christ which glorifies our Heavenly Father, we do that through our good works. Amen. We serve God. We serve Christ. And through that our light shines in the world. And the hope is, is that our light will shine upon their sinfulness to the point where they'll realize there's something missing in my life. And to the point where they realize that thing missing is the Lord Jesus Christ. The light is what reproves sin. For those who will see their sinfulness in the light of Christ, which we are commanded to shine forth, then the light that we shine becomes a reprover. Now, Jesus said that the Comforter would reprove the world of sin. And so, 
us having the Spirit indwelling us as we walk with God, as we walk in the light and we have fellowship one with another, and as we shine the light of Christ, as the Holy Spirit works in our life, what we are doing is we are hoping to reveal darkness that is in others. It becomes a reprover of sin. Listen to what John 3 says in verses 19 through 21. And this is speaking of those who have rejected Christ. The Bible says, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And so the light reproves because it reveals evil deeds. That's why you're where you're at in life. Amen. That's why you're in the workplace you're in. Come on now. That's why you are where you work. You are not just there primarily to collect a paycheck and provide needs. You are there as a missionary for the Lord Jesus Christ. And your light is to shine, to show that there is darkness in this world and to reprove them of that darkness. And so you're not just there to sit in a cubicle all day or whatever you do. Um, I hated when I had to do that. But you're not just there just to sit there, but you're there to shine a light, the light of Christ. It reproves those who have rejected Christ as their Savior. It's to show them that they are living in their evil deeds, living in darkness. So the question, first of all tonight, is is your light shining for Christ? Where do you go to school? Is your light shining for Christ? You're not just in that school to to learn. You're there as a missionary. We're all called to reach people. You say, well, I'm homeschooled. Then reach your mom and dad. Amen. (laughs) Ephesians 5, 11 and 13 say, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Verse 13 says, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So we are to stand as lights in the evil day. And in so doing, you can rest assured that there will be plenty of people who will want to put that light out because it's reproving them. It's convicting. It's not what they want to hear. And you just have to go ahead and and know that that's what's going to happen because our light is shining upon their corruption. But the good news is, and I don't want you to lose heart, the good news is not everybody's going to turn away from the light. There will be those who will come and they'll, they'll ask you about what it is you have. There will be those who will seek for salvation. There will be those that if we stay faithful and we keep shining the light, people will want to come to the light and they will want to be saved. We're proof of that here tonight. I mean, here we are. Somebody reached us. Somebody shined a light in our life. Somebody got us to think about our need. And so we just need to keep doing what God has called us to do. We, we keep shining so that they'll see their sinfulness. They'll want a Savior as a result just as we all did. Ephesians 5.8 says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the world. Walk as children of light. So keep standing in the evil day by shining your light for Christ's name. Keep walking as children of light. And like you, others may come to a saving faith one day as a result of you shining your light for Christ. Not only are we to stand as lights in this world, but we're to stand as salt in this world. Salt is what preserves from corruption. Light exposes corruption. Salt 
preserves from corruption. Matthew 5.13 says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. There's something similar to the light here when we talk about salt. Light and dark cannot go together. Salt and impurities cannot go together. You see, in those days, salt was gathered differently than it is today. We have refined salt. We get the little umbrella dude, Morton's or whatever it is. And they actually would get salt in Israel from rocks there at the Dead Sea. But it was harvested differently. It was more crude. And so when they would gather that salt in, it would be gathered in also with some earth material. Some impurities would be in that. And then if that bag or that container in which the salt was placed, if moisture were to get in there, then the salt would begin to dissolve where all that was left was this insoluble bits of rock that was really good for nothing. And it didn't take much moisture to start the process of the salt losing its savor. And so you'd be left behind with this bag of uselessness, which was really only good to cast out into the street to be trodden upon. Because you didn't want to cast it into the dirt. It's not good for the dirt to have the salt there. So you just cast it out on the street for it to be trodden underfoot. When as believers, we get too many, listen now, when we get too many worldly impurities into our lives, we become watered down. And what happens is it causes us to lose our savor. Because we have these impurities in our life. And at that point, we have lost our preserving ability of preserving effectiveness from corruption. Because we ourselves have become corrupted. And so do you see the problem here? If we're going to be salt and light, we have to stay away from the things that are darkness and corruption. So when we abstain from corrupting properties in our lives, then we are salt which can preserve from corruption, and the world will be able to notice a difference. Now, the Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good. If you're the only example of the Lord people have, what are they tasting? Are they going to taste something that is no longer preserved, that's no longer good and fit for anything, or are they going to notice the difference? Something that has been preserved from corruption. Is everybody with me? And so listen, we have a job to do. We have to, keep, we have to stay away from those things which will corrupt because it will affect our testimony in the community when we're trying to tell people that there's a Savior that they need. It's hard to tell somebody they need a Savior when you say you have the Savior and you're still living like them who need a Savior. That gets a little difficult to win. So really, if we were to sum all this up, standing as light and salt in the world, in this evil day, we could easily just put it this way. We need to be standing in holiness in this day in which we live. We need to be holy vessels. We need to be meat for the Master's use. And so just keep that in mind. Are you impure? Are you, are you holding hands with the world? Are you walking in darkness? Then maybe you're not being effective. In fact, I can tell you you're not. Are you standing in the evil day? We need to live like God's Word is true. We need to be ambassadors for Christ upon this earth. We need to represent Christ without darkness and without corruption. We need to stand and we need to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, we need to stand. Now consider this thought tonight of standing 
from a military perspective because that's really kind of the context here. We're in a spiritual warfare and we're about to armor up. And so when we think about standing from a military perspective, there's a lot of ways that we could look at this. But one is this, we need to hold our ground where God has stationed us to serve our tour of duty upon this earth. God has you assigned to Rapid City, South Dakota. Most of you. And while you're, you're TDY here, so stand while you're here. And so while we are stationed here, God wants us to stand. Now, I can't always help what's going on down the road. But in this area where this is my post, this is the ground that God has said I want you to stand upon. We have to stand on that ground and not give up. We have to hold our ground. We need to serve honorably. I don't know what that looks like all around the world, but may I suggest for us today in this country, this means we're to hold to the truth. Now, if we're going to stand for truth, we better know what truth is. Jesus, in the prayer that we're studying on Sunday mornings in John chapter 17, will say, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You say, what do I stand for? How do I stand for truth? You stand for this word of God. And may I just dig a little bit deeper and say, you need to stand on the King James Bible. And so you need to stand for the word of God. You need to stand for truth. No matter what America does in changing the definitions of marriage, the definition of genders, I can't figure that one out. No matter how much our nation removes God from schools, governments, public places, no matter how much God's commandments are thrown down, we need to stand by holding up the truths of the Bible. Philippians 2.15 and the first part of verse 16 say, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Second Thessalonians 2.15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast, and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. Second Timothy 1.13 Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. So we've got to hold the word of God. As I said last week, we may not always be able to bring about policy change like we would hope for, but certainly as a church body, we can stand our ground on truth collectively. I don't want to re-preach last week, but the world may change the definition of marriage, but we don't have to we can still stand on truth and those kind of things. And so, like I said, I don't want to get back on that, but we can stand collectively and individually, each and every one of you can make a decision. I'm going to stand for truth. I don't care what happens at the workplace. I'm going to stand for truth. I don't care what the school says is right and wrong. I'm going to stand for truth. And so we can do that as individuals as well. Uh, You say, but I'm going to be labeled something. Yeah. Amen. Just tell them you're part of the Nuthouse Baptist Church. Amen. And they'll understand right away. So, But listen, it's going to happen, but we have to be salt and light in our workplaces for people to notice. So I want to encourage you, stand fast in the evil day. Don't give in, don't give up. Hold the banner of truth high. Never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. Never be ashamed of that. Never be ashamed of all the truth of God's word. Say, well, all of it, I mean, some of that's outdated. It's not culturally significant today. No, we stand for all of the truth of God's word. 
So why are you, why are you so determined to do that? Because this is the same book that gave me eternal life. We are born again, not with corruptible seed, but with incorruptible seed. And so if this is the Bible that tells me how to be saved through Jesus Christ, and this is the Bible I'm going to stand for, amen. And so we just stand for truth. We just need to settle it in your heart. Yep, you're going to be labeled in your school. You're going to be labeled at your work. And people are going to make fun of you, but that's okay. If that's all that we have to deal with, that's not too bad. So stand your ground by not compromising on the Word of God, not wavering on the Word of God, not watering down the Word of God. Listen, you don't have to be ugly in the process. Amen? We don't have to resort to name-calling and and thumping and all the rest. Just tell people, no, 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 that's not what God says. And don't ever make it about yourself. This isn't my opinion that I'm telling you. That's what I used to always tell people in the military. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'll quote to you book, chapter, verse. And then they can get mad at God if they want. Right? And so we stand for truth. We don't water it down. And listen, by the way, we never retreat from the Word of God either. Not only are we to hold our ground... But in like fashion, if we are to stand in the evil day, then we cannot desert our post. Thinking about this militarily. We must stay upon the wall. We must keep our watch. We don't want to be a deserter. What good is a soldier who will cut and run when the battle gets hot? We need to be strong and of a good courage if we're going to stand in the day of adversity. No one wants to fight with somebody who says they're going to have your back in the battle. And then when the bullets start flying... They're not there. We don't want somebody that's going to desert us when we need them most because what it does is it leaves you vulnerable. We want somebody that has our back when we need them most. 2 Timothy 4, 10 through the first part of verse 11 says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cresians to Glacia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. We need those like Luke in our life. We're in a spiritual warfare and we're seeking to stand for God. We need some Lukes along the way. There will be those like Demas who forsake us for various reasons when we need them most. But what a blessing to have a Luke standing with us as well. And I just want to thank God for the faithful soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.25 says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, and fellow soldier. And he that ministered to my wants. We need some fellow soldiers. Amen. We need some men that we can stand back to back. I always think of David and Jonathan. And those two men, they made a covenant with each other that as they would go through this life, they would have each other's back. That's my version. Amen. They would stand for each other. And both of them kept their word. They kept their post. They did not desert one another. And they kept their post. Here's the reason why. Because they loved each other. When someone takes a post, they keep that post because they love the people they're protecting. Amen. When somebody stands upon a wall, they're standing upon the wall because they love the place in which they live. They love the people that are there. They love how everything functions in that area. And they're going to stand upon the wall and they're going to sound the alarm and they're going to make sure that when trouble's on the way, they're letting people know they're keeping their post. And that's what we need to do as good soldiers of Christ. When someone stands upon the wall, it's because they love those they are standing for. How badly in these last days do we need brothers and sisters in Christ who will surrender to the Lord, take up their armor, and stand in the evil day? We need some fighters. We need a few good men and women who will stand in the evil day. Those who will not abandon their post 
We don't need any deserters. I don't know if you've ever been deserted. I have both militarily and in the ministry. I've seen those secretly clear out their posts when they thought no one else would notice in the cloak of darkness and then they up and vanish away. And you wonder, where, where'd they go? I saw that in the military. It's the oddest thing because I know where they're going to go when they find them. They're going to jail. I've got great news for you if you've been in that position. If everyone else around you forsakes you, if everybody else leaves you, there's one in heaven that said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And if you're standing in the evil day, then I want to promise you tonight that the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit will stand by you when everybody else forsakes you. 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17. Paul said, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And we need those who will stand no matter what comes our way, no matter what's on the horizon, those who will not desert their post, those who will bravely stand back to back with fellow soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ because we are in a warfare. But even if all others desert their post and all others forsake us. Jesus will never leave us and never forsake us. And thank God for that. Amen. God has your back. Amen. Well, I guess he's got everywhere. We need to stand against sin. We need to stand for truth. We need to stand our post. And next, we need to stand faithfully. We don't need to be a traitor. Don't be a defector. It's bad when someone's a deserter, but it's worse when someone's a traitor. Amen. I believe some can be a deserter and yet still be in the family. For example, on the night that our Lord was betrayed, the Bible says that the remaining 11 forsook him and fled. They were in the family. They might have deserted, but they eventually came back, which is what we hope for anybody that deserts. But traitors, I believe, are those who were never in the family to begin with. We think of Judas Iscariot. A traitor's heart was never in it. But we have to admit that traitors can still be found within our midst because traitors know how to blend in. They know how to look like a respectable young man. Amen. A respectable young woman. They know how to look like a godly family. But here's, here's what it says about Judas in Luke 6, 16. Judas Iscariot, which also was a traitor. Hey, he walked with them. He looked like them. He talked like them. But still, there was a traitor in their midst. Judas Iscariot was a betrayer. He was a defector. And he was ultimately a traitor. He pretended to stand with our Lord. But it eventually became known whose banner he fought under. Because you can only serve one of two masters. You're either serving the Lord Jesus Christ or you've rejected him and you're with Satan and don't even know it maybe. Some of you maybe do know it. We need to watch for traitors because we are told in 2 Timothy 3.15, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Traitors can have a form of godliness just like Judas Iscariot did. But they ultimately will deny the power thereof in the time of the hottest battles. And we're commanded to turn away from traitors because God is going to severely deal 
with the traitors. In Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, it says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. What happened? Where did they go? They all defected to their false gods. They didn't stand against sin as light and salt. They didn't stand for truth. They didn't stand their post. And since they deserted their post, there eventually arose a generation which became traitors who never stood faithfully. There's a regression. And God, as I said, He will deal with those who defect. The next verse, Ezekiel twenty-two thirty-one, says, Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. So as a result of their betrayal of God, God said, I'm going to pour out my indignation upon them. I'm going to consume them in the power of my wrath, He says. But that verse also made it clear. Listen now, don't miss this point. That verse made it clear that they are only getting what they deserved. They were only getting what they had sown. They were only getting what they have uh, created. And so, listen, if you're in that camp and you're hiding amongst us as a traitor, the day's coming. God's going to deal with that very severely. He's going to recompense upon their heads that which you have allowed to happen. And so you've got to know where you stand today. We need to understand there's a generational regression. And listen, in America, we are destroying ourselves. It's not the Taliban. It's not the economy battle with China. We are destroying ourselves, just like Israel did in Hosea 13.9, I think it says. And so here we are, we're seeing this generational regression. It happens gradually, but it happens surely. One generation begins to forsake righteousness and chooses sin. The second generation takes it another step further and will no longer stand for truth. Then the third generation deserts their post. And finally, the fourth generation becomes traitors of God. And eventually, it's going to end with God's wrath being poured out. Do you see the regression that takes place? The first generation are compromisers. The second generation are cop-outs. The third generation are dropouts. And the fourth generation are sellouts in the negative way. But we need to be those who are all in tonight. Listen, we're told four times here to stand. We need to be those who are all in for God. We need to stand in the evil day. Those who will not compromise to begin with. So let me close tonight by asking you, are you standing as a good soldier for Jesus Christ? Are you standing? Are you light and are you salt? Are you standing against the wiles of the devil? Do you withstand in the evil day? And having done all, stand. Therefore, stand. Someone once said, I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. Now would you just let that sink in for just a second? I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. We're all going to give an account one day. We're all going to stand before the Lord. What kind of account will you bring? Are you standing tonight? Let's pray.